0: For those of you who were here last week, Robert uh, started off with this, uh, and we all know Robert is this beautiful sort of deep voice, and he started off talking about, uh, you know, his accent and how it was funny because when he went home, he lost the accent. When he came back here, he regained it for some reason, and I thought, wow, that's a perfect opening for me. I can do a French accent just like that, and I thought, but that's not going to be melodious to their ears, as Robert would say. Might be a little grating. So you just got to have to take it for granted that that is my background and my culture and my history. And uh, I've got some great French accent jokes if you'd like to hear some later. <laughs> we are uh, in the third week of Advent. You saw that we've got uh, three candles lit. Uh, Kevin kicked it off three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Robert last week. Uh, Kevin will come back next week and then. Uh, this morning you have yours truly. The theme of our Advent series this year has been about wonder. The wonder of meeting Emmanuel, the wonder of God with us. Now the word wonder we use often in our vocabulary, we use the word wonderful, I do, all the time in multiple sentences in every conversation. When you look at the definition of what wonder means, Webster would define it as something or someone who is amazing, startling, beautiful. And that's a good description. I think for the purposes of us here this morning, as we think of our relationship with God, we think of Emmanuel and the wonder, I love the definition that Nancy Ortberg, a Christian author, married to John Ortberg, another Christian author, Defined wonder as this place between what our head understands and what our heart feels. Sort of that merger of those two things as we think about that. And we're looking at this theme of wonder and Emmanuel with us through the eyes of three characters in the Christmas story. Robert so eloquently started off last week with the story of Mary and her song as she was sort of taken by overwhelmingly sort of this sense of meeting with God and the sense that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Next week, as uh, Kevin wraps up the series, prepares us for Christmas, he's going to talk about Simeon, the same experience, and Simeon as well, expressing his exuberance in song. This morning, we together are going to look at Zechariah. For me, Zechariah is a bit of a lost and forgotten part of the Christmas story. He's right there at the beginning of the account that Luke provides, and as Luke says that he meticulously researched. And there we start, we begin with the story of Zechariah. Now why is he forgotten? I don't know. He's the father of John the Baptist. He's a very important part, and he too has a beautiful song that we're going to share and look through together. Perhaps it's because we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to Mary and the angel and, and the shepherds and Bethlehem and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But there is an incredible depth and wealth of, of knowledge <laughs> and of what we can learn in the scripture at the beginning of Luke. So we're gonna work through that this morning. We're gonna work through his story and we're gonna to get to his song. I will admit to you that as I was preparing for this, and as usual, we prepare a PowerPoint that might be helpful for you as you listen and you read scripture and, and, and the like, I really struggled with what to put up on the PowerPoint. And I started two, three different times, I had different slides, maybe just scripture, maybe just a summary of my thoughts, And I really struggled with it and I finally thought, you know what, I'm not gonna go with any any PowerPoint. I think this image of the manger is powerful enough for all of us. And just as the Lord always reminds me as this wonderful sense of humor and the way he works through things, as I came in this morning and I I met Dawn at the back, uh, I said, hey, you know, good news, I don't have any PowerPoint." she says, because we've been struggling with this PowerPoint all week. I'm not sure it was going to work. So there you go. So let's begin. For those of you who have a Bible, you can turn to the first chapter of Luke, verse 5. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to work through it together. We're going to pause. We're going to see what what these verses are telling us. We can reflect on it and then continue to move through the story. So in verse 5, the story begins. The Christmas story begins. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in their years. So let's just pause there, so it's the time of King Herod ruling over the Roman Empire and over Israel. We know he was a bad guy. We know this was a very difficult time for Israel. We're told that Roman uh, temples were popping up and idols. The other thing we know is that for some reason, this had been a period of silence. That for 400 years, God's people had not heard from God. They had not had a message from a prophet. The last prophet was Malachi, who correctly or- ordered in the Old Testament as the very last book in the Old Testament, the very last words. 400 years had transpired to this point in time. And yet we read that Zechariah and Elizabeth were-, were in good standing in God's eyes. They were righteous and they were blameless to God's commandments. Good, good people. We read that Zechariah was a priest, and we know that from God's commandments in Old Testament as he ordered his people to build the temple, he also ordered that Aaron and all his descendants would be the only ones allowed to tend inside the temple. And that's where we find Zechariah, a descendant of Aaron, and so was Elizabeth, for that matter. We read that, for some reason, uh, she was barren. And that sentence, the way it's structured sort of, it strikes me, it says all this good stuff and then it says, but Elizabeth was barren. In this day and age, that would have been a burden because of course they wanted families, they wanted descendants, they wanted heirs, they wanted people to carry their names. Later on in this same passage, Elizabeth herself says that God has removed this disgrace. So you know it weighs very heavy on them. So that's where we find ourselves in this story. Two godly people, a priest descendant of Aaron. 400 years of silence. The other thing I love about this is, is that Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. How helpful a coincidence is that? I love the definition of coincidence. Coincidence is just God's miracles where he chooses to remain anonymous. And we see that again. We see his hand. So we continue. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving the priest before, uh, as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came... All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So again, we're reminded, his division was on duty. At this time, people say, historians said that there was possibly up to 18,000 priests. So you might imagine that was a lot of priests to go in and tend to the temple. So they were organized by what they called divisions, which were really the original families in God's instruction. So if you're, you're curious about biblical history, go back to 1 Chronicles, I think it's chapter 24, and he lists all of the families that will be the ones who tend in the temple. Abijah was the seventh or eighth of those families. So maybe they had one or two weak shots at coming and doing their duty and tending the temple. And then they would pick one priest by lot, just one to be able to go in that special place, in the place of a holy of holies, in God's presence, and burn incense as an offering to God. Now, another fantastic coincidence to help our story, Zechariah is chosen. We don't know exactly how old he is. We're told that he was well, both he and his wife were well advanced in their years. Based on how old I am, well advanced in your years, I'm going to put at 85. (laughs) I'm going to give myself a little bit more runway. So there he was at 85. How long had he been a priest? When did it start? When he was 15? He had been a priest for 70 years, going to the temple when it was his family, his division's turn, and finally his lot is drawn. By the way, once your lot was drawn, you were never to be eligible again. This was his one shot in life. Finally, as an 85 year old. And there he is in the place in the Holy of Holies in God's presence. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Funny how that phrase shows up a lot with angels. The angel appears, the person is gripped with terror, frightened, startled, and the angel says, do not be afraid. We don't have a lot of definition or a lot of description of angels in the the Bible. In the Old Testament, we have stories of angels appearing as men and even eating food. But we also know in Luke chapter 2, for instance, that says that the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of God shone all around them. This is just me, I'm not a theologian, but I always have this image, especially in this passage, this angel Gabriel, I think a little bit, if you will, the analogy is of a full moon. Think of a summer night, the incredible, brilliant, fat, bright orange full moon that just seems to be struggling to hang in the sky. So bright, You think it's going to fall down. So bright that you could read outside in the middle of the night. And yet we know the moon has no capacity to generate light. The moon is simply reflecting from millions of miles away the light of the sun. And I think when we read this, do not be afraid, is that people are standing in God's glory. This angel is projecting God's magnificence and his glory as his dominion over the heavens and the earth. And it's sort of just like a glimpse. You know, it's like the Club Med commercial, 15 seconds of what it's going to be like in God's presence. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Zechariah. your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts and sorry, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And of course, the angel is telling him that you will have a son. You will call him John. We know him well as John the Baptist. He will prepare the way for the Lord. Now there's a couple things we need to pull out of this passage. The first is the very first words from the angel. Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. You will have a son. What prayer do you think was heard? Zachariah, being 85 years old, as we established a few minutes ago, his one shot in life, his lot, hes in the place in the Holy of Holies. Do you think he went in there saying, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, Elizabeth and I would so love a child please, Lord, I know we're 85, but it would be great. Chances are that was not on his heart when he entered the Holy of Holies. Chances are that prayer, he and Elizabeth and he and Elizabeth together prayed a thousand times. 65 years ago, 50 years ago, 45 years ago, 30 years ago. it's a reminder that God has a plan for us. And when I read this, this passage, I think of times when we've offered up prayer. We've moaned to God. We've, we've groaned saying, Lord, Lord, please hear my prayer. And it may be a physical illness or a, or a spiritual illness or a heartache or something terribly hurtful in your life and pained, maybe an ailing one, a loved one who is ailing, say, Lord, please hear me. And we remind ourselves, and sometimes we remind others, his plan is perfect, his timing is perfect, you will see, I'll admit to you, sometimes it feels shallow. Sometimes it feels like, Lord, you're you're not listening to me, you don't hear me. This is another reminder that God's plan is perfect. It may not be in our timing, and in our liking and in our helping. The only thing we know is that we are born and we live in jars of clay. But we also know that his timing is perfect. Because possibly, Zechariah, when he entered the place of holies, holy of holies, was praying this to the Lord. Father, I am in your presence, Lord. Please send your Messiah. Please save us. Please fulfill the covenant that you have given for 400 years ago, or sorry, centuries before, to our father Abraham. Lord, we haven't heard anything for 400 years. Please, Lord, we need your presence. We need you. And we see God's perfect plan answering both of those prayers. One that had been sent up 65, 75, who knows when, and one perhaps that had just been sent up recently. And as the angel describes John the Baptist, and he describes that we will make way for the Lord, he's also saying the Messiah is here. The Messiah is upon us. And Zachariah would have known that because the words that the angel uses are exactly the words in Malachi, the last time the Lord spoke 400 years before that he would send the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord, to bring people back from disobedience to righteousness, to soften, to make people ready for the Messiah. And so Zachariah is not only in the presence of the angel Gabriel and in God's presence, he's realizing that his story, his son's story is completely interwoven with the Messiah coming. It's an incredibly powerful moment. And how does Zechariah react? The best way to describe it is as a human. Because then Zechariah says, asks the angel, how can I be sure of all this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time in nine months from now. You doubt me? You doubt the power of God? I'm going to take away your speech for nine months until this happens. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, really, he's just you know, 85, he's allowed to say, you're sure? Have you met my wife and I? We're about to have a baby. Can we give us a little proof, maybe? Seems like a bit of a harsh rebuke. But I believe that it was God's way of preparing Zachariah for this moment as well, of softening his heart, of giving him all this time to think and reflect. And also because of this, it had a profound and powerful impact about around with people around them. We're told right after these verses that the others, the other priests and worshipers, were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the temple. He was late, of course. He was chatting with the angel Gabriel. He was late, and they wondered why it was taking him so long. And when he finally came out, his arms were waving, but he'd lost his speech. And they said, it is he has obviously had an apparition. He's obviously had some interaction with God. 400 years, God has spoken. They say the people were moved. And then later on in the story, when he gets his, his words back, when he speaks again, they say everyone around him were astonished and they went back to the hills in the country and told of this, saying something very important is taking place. Something is very special with this child. All in God's plan. All in God's doing in this incredible story. The first and beginning story of our Christmas story. And so then we move on. Then there's the whole passages that we won't go through, but we talked about last week. When Mary comes and visits Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, reacts and says... Who am I? Who am I that the mother, the Son of God, should come and visit me? And we're told that her baby in her womb, John, who is six months pregnant, leapt with joy, already filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizing that the Messiah was there, leapt for joy. Then it came time for Elizabeth to give birth. We move down to verse 57. Normal tradition, eight days in, they go circumcise the child. This obviously very, very tired, weary mother just gave birth, has a new baby, it's hard and everything else, and the formality of asking what they will call him, knowing that the answer was Zechariah, she says, John. I said, yeah, I don't think so. That doesn't make any sense. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Obviously, poor mom's lost her mind ready to go see dad. So, you want to call him Zachariah, right? He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. John, the meaning of John is God is gracious. As they were following the instructions of God and the angel. And immediately then, as the angel had told him, we read, that his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed." I don't know what it'd be like not to be able to speak for nine months. I know for some of you, it might be tougher than for others. (laughs) When uh, Chris and Lindsay were really little, and uh, I would have an afternoon or something, if Jerry was out running errands, and I'd be just with the two of them hanging out, I would immediately uh, invoke one of my favorite games, which was, He Who Speaks First, Loses. <laughs> I could have played that all afternoon. Uh, but unfortunately, they would only last about three or four minutes, and then one of them would say something, and then the other one would laugh, and then they both start giggling, and we'd all laugh and have lots of words. Zachariah just went nine months without saying anything. You know they. We just read that he went and asked for a writing tablet. You know, it wasn't like an, you know, one of these fancy tablets like we would have. It would have been, you know, pouring wax, so you, you would be judicious in what you wrote on your tablet every time, you know, remelting the wax. His first words, he's finally after nine months. I don't know about you, but there might be a long list of things I'd want to say. Elizabeth, we have a son. His name is John. Can you believe it? We finally have a son. Hello. I, I gotta tell you by the way, and haven't had a chance. I gotta tell you about this angel I saw. I I gotta tell everybody, this is incredible. He could have said anything. He might have been angry. It's like, Lord, really? Nine months? I was just asking. That just seemed a little tough. No, he could have said anything, but we read that he immediately began to speak, praising God. It had been built up in him for nine months. God preparing his heart for this. And he's, he just can't contain himself. Praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Already, Zechariah Zachari- is also preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist is eight days old. He's preparing the way for the Lord. Everybody is saying something very important is taking place. And then Zechariah praises in the form of a song. Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon, all with wonderful songs that have lasted all these centuries. Numerous songs have been made from their songs scripture memorized, powerful words. Why song? Why song? Some would say, in partly true, is it was an easier way of handing down things to generations. In song, it would be easier to remember. There was less written then. But perhaps it was because words just wouldn't suffice. You just can't come up with the right words at certain times to express a feeling, to express this wonder, Zechariah had been in the presence of God. He realized he was now in the presence of the Messiah. That God was on His way, the Messiah, the Savior. And then we then we read this psalm, read this song. You prefer me to read it than sing it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. It's the first part of his song. Saying, God, you remembered You remembered your covenant. You were bringing us the horn of salvation. The Messiah that you've promised us through the ages, from Abraham down, is now here. Praise, praise God. And then he has a, hey, that's my boy moment. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, through forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Hear these words. To give his people the knowledge of salvation. How? Through the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because of God's tender mercy. You know when we read of characters like Zechariah and others in the Bible we say yeah they're just regular people but it doesn't quite sink in for us. We just think they're they, it's like they're actors you know they've already read the full script they know how it's going to work out. They're just in this case Elizabeth and Zechariah godly people following his rules and they're stepping through this one step at a time. Jesus hasn't grown up yet. Jesus hasn't been preaching and teaching the world yet. And listen to Zechariah's words, that he's bringing salvation through forgiveness of sins because he loves us so much. Incredibly powerful words. His reaction of his wonder of being in this presence and this amazement. I think this is a good time to pause for communion. With these words upon us and this thought and this beautiful song that has been risen, I want us to keep that thought and these words as we move to communion. So I would invite the ushers to come forward now. I love uh, so many things about this church. Um, I love everything about this church. One of the things I really, really love is the fact that we have communion every week Perhaps you could say it fits my old culture, but I love that we have this opportunity to turn our hearts to Christ. We're celebrating through the Christmas time, his story, his story of his birth. We recognize as we come to communion that we also remember Good Friday and what it took for us Experiences experience this forgiveness of sins, that it had to be nailed on the cross. And more so than the physical pain, imagine for the perfect son of man, for the perfect God, to be encumbered and, and to be weighed down with all of the sins of the world as he took those to the grave. Why have you forsaken me? Physical and incredible spiritual pain. But we don't serve a God with two, two parts to a story. We serve a God with three parts to a story. Because we celebrate on Easter that he is risen. We celebrate God is with us, Emmanuel. Not God was with us, he is with us now. We celebrate communion because Jesus himself said, do this, it's not hard, do this. Share some bread. It will remind you of my body that was sacrificed and have some wine. That will remind you that I shed my blood for you because I love you and I want to be reconciled with you. So this morning, as we celebrate communion, as we take in communion, just remember his simple words Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you, we adore you. Father, we love the Christmas uh, time. We love the Christmas story. It is beautiful and it's amazing and it's perfect. your arrival here for all of us. And Lord, we also recognize, as you've asked us to do, of your incredible sacrifice. but we rejoice in taking communion this morning, knowing that you are here with us in this church, with each of us in our homes. You are God with us. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your holy and precious name, amen. Two weeks ago, uh, when Kevin kicked off the series, he actually shared a bit of his testimony and talked about at the age of, I believe, 35, was his first physical Christmas and what that felt like. And I believe it was his also first very deep spiritual Christmas as he experienced the wonder of being with God. Robert shared his story last week as well. He said when he was 15 years old. And he talked about that deep moving time. For me, I was about 34, 35 years old. I lose exact track. And I also had that moment. And to tell you how profound it was, it was in the evening. And I wept most of the night. I was north of Timmins, fishing with my oldest son, who at the time I believe was eight or nine. To tell you how excited I was and how anxious I was to come back and tell everybody, we got back here by 11 a.m. We left in the morning north of Timmins. For those of you who are familiar with Northern Ontario geography, you know we got up pretty early. I couldn't wait to tell everybody. If we had time to go through this auditorium this morning, stories would bring us to our knees, would have us groaning and thanking God for each of the experiences that you have had and continue to have, the sense of wonder of Emmanuel with us, Emmanuel with you. Kevin also two weeks ago said something that was very touching for me, very profound. And he said, at times we need to stir our faith. I really like that expression, to kind of stir it up again. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said of the heavens and the constellations, imagine if they only appeared once every thousand years. We would look up. Can you imagine the amazement and bewilderment, and the wonder we would experience in seeing such a thing. And he goes on to say that one of the great tragedies in life is that we get used to things. And I think that's what Kevin was reminding us, that at times, yes, human nature, we get used to even our own story, our even wonder, that amazing moment and moments that we continue to have. And this Christmas season's a good time to give it a turn. Stir it up a little bit. Let that come back. Remember your own story. If you will, I'd encourage you through this season before or after Christmas to figuratively approach that manger. Imagine it there. Imagine walking up deliberately, slowly, and peeking over the side. I mean, it's an animal trough, probably still had stuff stuck to it and old food and everything else. But as you peer over the side, there's this baby. The baby's perfect. All babies are amazing and beautiful and perfect. But that is the Son of Man the King of Kings. Let it stir your heart. Let it stir your faith. It is said that one day a man approached Mark Twain, and he said, Mr. Twain, I wish I'd never read your book, Huckleberry Finn. Mark Twain was a bit bewildered by that. He said, may I ask you why you would say such a thing? He said, because I'd, if I'd never read it, I could read it for the first time now. Perhaps there's some of you here today who, figuratively speaking, have not read the book yet. This morning's a great time. You can come forward after. You can speak to myself or any of the people up front. Just maybe talk. Maybe it's something that's just pulling at your heart. For me, that moment I described to you is this amazing time of this lifetime of head knowledge meeting my heart. Nancy Ortberg's definition of wonder. Zachariah, Mary, Simeon, you and I, we all have those incredible moments of wonder and amazement of being in God's presence. Remember folks, Christmas we sing, we just finished singing Emmanuel. The song's not God was with us, isn't that good? God is with us now amen let's pray our father in heaven uh, we thank you for scripture we thank you for leaving us your word as we're filled with the holy spirit as we live a life with you through christ jesus and the holy spirit indwells us we have your word to reflect on all the things you have brought all the things in our history and the reasons and the love that you have for us we thank you for the story of Zechariah. We thank you for the, all of the Christmas story. What a wonder that God is with us today. What a wonder that you are with us now. We love you, Jesus. Amen.